So today's topic, uh, emotional management, <laughs> is an emotion that doesn't need to be managed. <laughs> I say management, not eradication, <laughs> or, or suppression, or fascination, or identification, but just the emotion is part of our intelligence. Emotional sensitivity and receptivity is part of our fundamental intelligence. So, in a way, it's what makes us humans, what makes us mammals, what makes us sentient, is our ability to discern someone or something, internalize it, get some kind of response going, feel it, and then respond from there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the emotional intelligence. It's to sense something, feel it, and then issue a response, like a conversation, non-verbal conversation, you know, which gives us guidance. That's the basic fundamental guidance. And then the details come with your thinking mind. Get the fundamental guidance of this is agreeable, this is safe, this is not good, uh, this is distasteful. Uh, I don't feel comfortable here. I feel very excited or enthusiastic. Uh, I'm getting a little bit too speedy. You know, some then we're able to perhaps moderate that or check again, moderate it and come up with a suitable response. <laughs> but it doesn't always happen like that. That's mm. because um, some things are emotionally very, very powerful, overwhelming, extremely painful. Um, so much so that the impact is quite strong, shocking, and the emotional trigger is so heightened that we don't quite know how to manage it. Yeah. Uh, so often what occurs, then we get very excited or very agitated, and then the thinking comes from that place, we think, or we, we start speaking, and in line with those emotions, and we get stirred up, and we find we create verbal karma, and um, means we say things that perhaps in a wiser state of mind we wouldn't have said, or we miss out details, we only receive a bit of the impression, we talk about that, and we miss out the broader picture. You know? And so then this begins to shape our actions, and we're shaped, we then get shaped by those actions. As you can recognize in any kind of uh, heated experience, we get an emotional effect and then we react to that and we take a stand upon that reaction. I feel angry, I feel upset, I feel frustrated. Uh, that response comes in and then we take a stand upon that. I am upset, I am frustrated and then there's an unskillful um, response to that. I say something I should, on a wiser moment I wouldn't have said. Or we get very excited and uh, fascinated by something and we get seduced. Something touches us if we find it pleasing. And we get an emotional effect of pleasure, excitement, and we lose balance and we act upon it and we get consumer greed. <laughs> it's one of those um, various kinds of passion take over and we become reckless. So this sense of uh, emotional management. And then around that kind of overextended state, then we take a stand upon that and we feel identified with that. When we act upon it, then we're seen as an angry person or an upset person or a giddy person or you know excitable person. And then we have to receive, get results of that. So other people naturally see that and we also experience it ourselves. I feel sad, I sometimes get so upset all the time. I feel really annoyed with myself because I get so excitable and carried away. Yeah. I wish I wasn't such a miserable person. <laughs> yeah. uh, I wish I wasn't so fearful, I wish I was more steady and stable. Yeah. So then we take that emotional response as ourself and then we get a comment on that. We comment on it, it's become us, and then we start to feel, well, I'm doing it wrong, or I've got a bad habit, or I'm overwhelmed, or i am got stuck with these emotional tendencies because we haven't really managed them. Mm. 
And just to bear in mind, you know, we should be emotionally sensitive, but when we find ourselves coming into these flooded states, whereby we find ourselves kind of caught in it and identified with it, and recognizing this is habitual, I'm a compulsive duty, obligation, I always get this feeling I've got to do something, make everything work. We get these kind of tendencies, compassion fatigue, because we haven't been able to regulate the sense of distress at seeing suffering. We get overwhelmed with that. So then, you know, I, I'm kind of hopeless because I always have these strong tendencies. I get flooded and I get impassioned and I find myself to compulsively reacting in the same ways. And I, so I get a more, another emotional response to that. <laughs> of, you know, and then it builds up. So these create what I call vortexes. The original movement is a kind of stream. If the stream gets stuck, it turns into a spin, into a vortex, right? If the stream of water meets an obstacle or it can't get through a, a channel properly, it starts to stir up and eddy into vortexes. So we get this vortex. And then we get another vortex, which means every time that experience comes up, I feel even more stirred up and disappointed with myself or annoyed with myself. So it gets more spin around it. And then this also this begins to become embodied. That is, it's a reflex that takes over that I don't seem to have any say over <laughs> at all. I just find myself so reactive and, and triggered and buttons are being pushed all over the place. You know? I've got these reflexes that are, that are stuck there. So with human beings, you know, the emotional responsiveness, it's always in the here and now but the here and now that we're responding to isn't necessarily the here and now that's acting out in front of our eyes. It's the here and now that we're experiencing in our reflexive nervous system. Where do these habits, where do these vortexes stay? Whereby I'm going to the same thing again, the same kind of reactivity, the same thing of, you know, frustration or irritation, the same feeling of guilt. It's me again. This is my true self because it happens so many times. This is who I am. Where are these habits banked? Where are they stored? Where are they remembered? Yeah. And <laughs> what is often not fully realized and practiced with is the sense that these emotional reflexes have an effect upon the body. In a way, it's obvious, isn't it? You know, if something frightens you, your body jumps. It should do that. You don't want to just sit around and think about it. You get these reflexes. So emotion does touch into the body. And this is something I think William James was talking about this back in the early, nine, early 20th century. When you get the fear impulse, you don't think about it, just go straight to your guts and you run. <laughs> or you tighten up. Yeah. So these emotions then travel through the autonomous nervous system. That is, we have a nervous system that's about what we can decide to do, like I want to pick up a cup, I want to scratch my nose. We've got some choice over that, and we can decide. We've also got an autonomous nervous system, which we don't seem to have much say over. It just happens. Yeah. If I hear a loud bang, I jump. Mm. Mm. There's an example. Mm. Uh, so this, this kind of autonomous nervous system carries these triggering reflexes. And they're kind of often they're about immediate responses. Mm. Yeah. Now these kind of get learnt and acquired. They're, they're primary, they're, they're almost fundamental such things as fear, um, passion, uh, and also uh, rage, and also, of course, emotional warmth is a reflex where something softens. So they're not bad, but they are, you know, they're reflexes. So it's not yours as such. It creates your 
profile. But it's not actually you. It creates a you. Your emotional profile gets created by these reflexes. And somebody's profile we don't feel very good about. But it happens. Now, there is a possibility through direct practice to enter into this reflexive system and begin to undo it or moderate it. Um, moderate it. So instead of huge rushes that come up when something irritates me, I get a recognition that's I don't like that and I can decide what to do. I'm no longer thrown into an automatic uh, rage response. So yes, the system works and I do recognise something unpleasant, disagreeable, and yet I can check that out. My body doesn't immediately kind of give a huge rush of energy. It recognises, uh-huh, and then it's moderated. That can be reviewed and okay, that wasn't so good, I'll do that, I'll do this, I'll avoid that, I'll say this. So, finished. End of issue. Again, this is uh, probably something all of us do automatically as you grow up. When you're a little, little one, you just throw a tantrum because you haven't learnt it yet, you haven't learnt to regulate it. So little ones cry a lot, scream a lot, because they haven't actually learnt how to do that, that regulating, because you know, they can't speak anyway. So the regulation comes from the parent who listens to their crying and says, OK, yes, 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 uh, gives them a cuddle, hugs them, whatever, addresses their needs. There's a response where they feel heard, they feel known, they feel there's something coming in that will, 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 um, will deal with that and therefore they're able to be co-regulated by a parent. Then, then they begin to learn, oh yes, this is unpleasant, but you don't have to scream. You get the sense of connection and what's needed is some kind of emotional warmth response to the suffering that is occurring. So we learn it. Something learns it on an emotional level. Okay. Now it can also be the case that at some point when you get hurt or you get frightened, you're told not to feel it or to be quiet <laughs> or it doesn't matter or I'm too busy now. So you don't get the regulation. In fact, you get a sense of dismissal, dismissiveness, right? So therefore, what you learn is to dismiss. You get regulated that way. You learn to, to dismiss a feeling or an emotion. To, could say, suppress it. And in social and familial contexts, this is not unusual. Yeah, I'm too busy right now. I've got to go to work. I'm too busy to deal with that. Yeah. Um, Everybody gets that, so what? Or behave yourself and be quiet. Something of this nature. And so that, that process, so we, we, we learn that. We learn, shut it down. We learn that. So instead of a process whereby an emotion is felt, it arises, and there's a kind of compassionate holding of that emotional flood, pausing, and okay, you're all right, it's okay to feel like that, and now feeling this a sense of safety, allowance, openness, ah, it said what it needed to say, it calms down. Now if we suppress it, it doesn't do that. So we learn that kind of pattern. And for sure, this process of regulation doesn't stop at the age of three. It's going on pretty much all the time. Some of your fundamental stuff could be laid down in the first 10 years of what you will close down, what you will feel too ashamed of, 
to experience, what you will push away, what you will blame yourself for, some of those strong patterns get established early on, but we keep learning it as we come into social contact. Right? And we can probably all recognize that social contact doesn't mean sitting around with my friends. It means also going out into the street, into the workplace, into the office, into the busy world where people are not being emotional, responsive and sensitive and listening. They're actually busy doing this stuff. And please be quiet because we've got to get the job done. Please be quiet, you know, or just not even please. <laughs> but, and there's a certain sense of you are supposed to not be emotionally upset you're supposed to be steady state so that you can cope and manage and get things done. That's what we want. That's what the society wants. It wants you to be steady, competent, mildly cheerful, positive and get things done. Yeah. From 8 o'clock in the morning until 6 o'clock at night and then you can do what you like. But this is what we want. Yeah. Yeah. So you get sort of taboos around what you can feel and so that you get a shame packet a shame membrane develops around the person a shame membrane develops around the person and so that that then acts as a constant uh, suppressant of disagreeable or turbulent or irregular emotions you know like you're not supposed to look too cheerful because it could be, you know, uh, this is, you know, something like that. You know, say if you're female, for example, don't look too open because you might attract the wrong kind of attention. So keep yourself contained. Yeah, mm, that kind of mm. the threat of society of social disapproval or social intrusion. We don't feel entirely safe to be ourselves. And that gets learnt too. <laughs> you see what I mean? You're getting more and more vortexes building up around an original movement and flow that's kind of checking it, blocking it, pushing it away, disturbing it, counteracting it, attacking it, yeah. unable to cope with it, but not actually holding it carefully in a steady space and letting it process through by being heard, felt and in the body, the body discharges it. The thinking mind does not discharge emotion. The thinking mind tells you what to do, but it doesn't actually deal with the particular emotional energy, right? It can add more to it, but it doesn't actually deal with emotional energy. It may approve or disapprove of why you've got that emotion, you know, but it doesn't actually deal with the energy. Energy, which you can clearly discern in emotion, it's a kind of comes sometimes mild surges or sometimes extreme, you know, kick reflexes or flurries. That's, that's, your ner that's running through your nerves. That's your autonomous nervous system firing. Your thinking mind is no, is, doesn't access that. But your body does. That's why you end up feeling tense, why your higher hands knot, why your jaw tightens up, why your belly gets knotted, why your shoulders hunch, why your chest caves in, yeah? <laughs> why you feel jittery. That's your body. Right? And that's responding to what's happening in your autonomous nervous system. So we tend to, as a, as a culture, very much emphasize the head intelligence, the intellectual intelligence, for obvious reasons. It's the great, the great doer, the great organizer, the great planner, the great visionary, you know, of course wonderful thing. We tend to, as a society, see emotion as a bit woo-woo, you know, a little bit flaky, a little bit 
You know, I mean, some's okay, but let's not get swept away with it. We don't want to be gushy, unable to regulate their emotions. She's obviously not really competent because she gets swept away. Emotion is a bit, it's, it's okay if it's mild emotional flushes, but we don't want anything too irregular because it rocks the boat. And it's a kind of simple animal reflex. We regard it as lesser than the thinking mind. Body we don't regard as intelligent at all. <laughs> I mean, I'm not talking about you particularly. I imagine you who meditate recognize it, but society, we don't really recognize body as an, as an intelligence. It's fundamentally uh, a thing you dress to make it look appropriate, or you put meat in it, or food in it, or you exercise it. It's, it's a basically, it's a donkey <laughs> that you ride around on. And you can dress up your donkey, uh, ride around it, you know, feed it properly, but it, it's pretty dumb. <laughs> yeah. But actually, in terms of emotional management, it's exceptionally sensitive. And if you get into it and train it, that's the medium, that's the thing that be able to moderate, not suppress, not judge, not make a person out of the emotion. It doesn't bother with that. It just feels the energy of the emotion and it's able to hold it and steady it. And whenever there's a holding and a steadying, the heart can open up. And in the heart... Oh, what's needed here begins to generate an energy that goes into the body called compassion, relaxation, ease, firming up, stabilizing. So in the dialogue between the heart and the body is where you get the emotional management. The heart gives the right signal in response and the body, okay, got it you know, changes the nervous system. So then we come into stability or compassion or serenity or acceptance, which are all definitely experiences that we can have uh, considered absolutely crucial for our welfare, for our balance, and of course, for our way we are with other people. So just to recap, yeah, managing emotion, recognizing how powerful it is and how um, prevalent it is. Uh, You know, so we can say, oh, I don't, all this stuff about emotion drives me nuts. I can't see the point of talking about it. That's an emotion. (laughs) That's an emotion that spoke. Why do we have to deal with these emotions? I mean, surely this is a pretty clear practice. Well, that, you've you've just experienced an emotion, which is called not liking to talk about emotions. (laughs) Right? It's there. Every time you think something, there's some kind of heart movement that gets that going. And most of it's just, okay, it looks good, I'll do this, or I better adjust that. It's some kind of movement. But this is called chetana in Buddhism, volition, and it's an emotional energy that gets things moving. Whether you're going to do computer graphics or not, you probably are somewhat aroused by that, otherwise it wouldn't happen. However clinical our brains are, basically we're inspired, interested, excited, enthusiastic, or whatever, to do it. So it's it's very prevalent, medium. And we want that to be sensitive and there's a tremendous enrichment that can come in our lives when our emotional sense is, is fluent and, and unrestricted and undistorted. We get a sense of warmth, warm-heartedness, joyfulness. Okay, so next point to remember is that these have a body reference. The body reference is, I'm calling it the autonomous nervous system. You could call it parasympathetic. I'm not entirely sure of the different differentiations in this rather complex system, but you could say it's your your nervous system, if you like. That you as a person, your thinking mind doesn't have control over. 
but it relates directly to the emotional tone. And the two work together. If the body feels uncertain, the heart feels uncertain. If the heart feels agitated, the body feels agitated. If the heart feels warm and comfortable, the body feels warm and comfortable. And the Buddha says, meditation, you have to get the heart comfortable, then the body is comfortable, then you have samadhi and you can see things as they are. This is not a sidetrack. This is central. Okay, next point to remember. This is not just about what's happening in the here and now. Or at least in the sensory here and now, not in what it's about also about the interpretations that I make about the here and now dependent upon my emotional profile. You know, it's kind of here and now, and yet what's happening here and now is affected by my emotional profile. So if I have an emotional profile that tends towards the saddened or the depressive, then I notice saddening things, I notice depressing things, I notice things that trigger that. And people I know, friends I know, there are people who are optimistic, cheerful, and there are people who are less cheerful, there are people who feel there's always lots of things they've got to do, there are people who feel life's going on okay, I don't need to do much. That's their emotional profile. And every time an event happens, that emotional profile will actually see the event. Oh, it's somebody else's problem. One person will say, oh, somebody else can deal with that. Another person will say, oh, I've got to do that. I better hurry up and do it. Another person will think, it's all hopeless. What's the point anyway? <laughs> and somebody will say, oh, well, yeah, we'll get that done and then things will be fine. <laughs> see what I mean? What do they see? They see things in accordance with their emotional profile. Right? So the same set of apparent circumstances can be felt and, and related to very differently. Okay? So this is not about, this is historical. Mm -hmm. And this historical emotional profile becomes one important, perhaps foundational aspect of what we call the person. Yeah. And so naturally that emotional profile uh, affects what we see, affects what we even choose to see. I'm not interested in that kind of thing. This thing really gets me. Um, affects how we respond to it. I kind of look at it with some serenity. He looks at it with a sense of alarm. And then calm occurs. I act, speak, think, relate in a particular way that follows that emotional profile and inks it in again. <laughs> Gives it another piece of inking in, inking in one's emotional profile. And so there are two things we need to review here. One is, how is your emotional profile anyway? <laughs> you may not have much of a problem with it. Fine. There may be a few bits that aren't so good. Yeah. Sometimes it's extremely uh, difficult. You know, people can barely get through life. People get suicidal. You know, we are the ones who kill ourselves, humans. Highest cause of death of people under 30 is suicide. Right? Just can't, can't manage, no point going on. Right? So emotional profile can be deadly. Or it can be, well, you know, things like narcissism. I'm the greatest person in the world. Everybody should follow what I'm doing. You know, these often, you get these people to come into, let's not get too personal about it, but leadership positions, <laughs> particularly in politics. I am the big I am. <laughs> you, know, you think, wow. Uh, so, yeah, there's a problem there. Uh, most of us probably have a few pieces where we get compulsive and identified. And so the first thing is, well, let's acknowledge that. Yeah? And let's see what we can perhaps bring around that would begin to smooth and ease out some of that emotional profile. This is called good karma. Second thing is um, 
can there be a release from karma, from being a person, from being identified, having a fixed emotional profile? And the Buddha says, yes, this is possible. doesn't mean we don't have emotions. It means that they are really related to what's important in the here and now, not from some historical bias or, or profile. The chitta, the heart, doesn't have a profile. It's just open. Now that, that's a possibility. Okay, so the, these are pieces. And I had another piece, you know, often what occurs for people, for human beings, in life is they get into emotional context they cannot manage, they cannot get relief, um, it's shameful to experience it, uh, they cannot allow it to happen. So what happens is that they close. There's a closure. I don't feel anything. I'm fine. I don't feel anything. I'm fine. So this also occurs to a greater and lesser degrees. We become, if you like, semi-autistic, on that level, emotionally autistic. And there's a closure occurs, whereby I don't feel anything. And this is a traumatic response. Um, it's life-inhibiting. It's also very dangerous, because if we don't have emotional intelligence, how on earth are we going to respond to each other? How are we going to respond? How can we live joyful, fruitful lives? And unfortunately, you know, the sad news is if that is shut down, if we're not emotionally intelligent, responsive, we can do terrible things to other people because we don't feel anything about it. So this is the, the tragedy of human history, isn't it? Brutality that human beings wreak upon each other because I don't feel anything for you at all. You're just a thing. Uh, now that closure isn't something I choose to do. It, it again is a reaction to not being able to discharge, open, release the surge of emotion. So, yeah. I mean, so this is probably quite enough to <laughs> to, to, to say right now. Because in terms of practice, what's needed in this whole flood that can be happening, or the, or the closures that could be happening, or the reactivity that could be happening, what's needed, first of all, is a stable base that you can feel. And so, so you actually have a stable basis so you can begin to let the emotional profiles, emotional details of the emotional profile manifest without feeling you've got to do anything about it. Not even, not even have an answer to it or overcome it <laughs> or understand it or even discharge it, but just what it takes to have an emotional, a certain stability uh, that will enable one to at least kind of open the package or let the package open. What's here now for me? What's here now? Hmm? Without you know any self-reference to it, what's here now? Uh, how does it feel? And can there be stability with it in the presence of that? Unless we can establish this fundamental core stability, then really the process is going to be extremely um, chaotic and, and often dealing with various reactions to it. We want that neutral stability. And as I suggested, this whole area of our life, a very important area of our life, is patterned in by the body's reflexes, we come into the body to establish stable presence. I'd like to suggest we stand, um, because 
when there's closures and agitations, the body would tend to compress or fidget or close itself down, particularly around the chest and also in the abdomen, the belly, without us deciding to, it just does. Uh, so what's helpful is to spend some time in standing, making a practice of feeling the sense of standing, the balance, the wholeness of that, and beginning to let the body open up based upon that fundamental standing balanced axis. So let's take the next 12-15 minutes, something like that, if you would. We're going to standing position. I'm sure you all know what standing looks like, but um, you've probably seen people do it. But um, by and large, people generally stand on one leg or another. We lean, we don't really stand on our feet, we tend to stand resting the upper body around the hips. Yeah. So this closes off the lower body, the legs, the feet, and we lose that very helpful um, connection to the planet. If you want stability, the best thing to connect to is not your brain, but your the ground beneath you. And so, okay, so this means you take a stand, um, legs coming straight down from the hips, balance on your feet so that the weight of the body is carried by the balls of the feet and the heels of the feet. Flex your toes a little. When we wear shoes a lot, the feet lose their their flexibility, their sensitivity, so you might need to just wriggle a little bit, wake the feet up. And in the centre of the foot, of the under arch, there's a sensitive area that doesn't touch the ground, and you want that to feel open. So pull your toes up, back, so it stretches the sole of the foot. Yeah. And flex your knees a little. So the feet, which is out, very important connection to the most stable thing we can access, which is the very earth beneath us. Those feet are tuned in, woke, woken up, like you're standing on the deck of a ship. Softer in your knees, so your legs are not rigid. Therefore, they are also much more intelligent, able to adapt slightly different positions. Not that you're going to do very much but they're, they're ready, they're not closed down, locked. These are loose and the legs are um, doing their work. Then begin to rest your upper body, not on your belly or your hips, but on the, on the legs. Yeah. This means relaxing in the abdomen also relaxing in the backside, in the buttocks, those big muscles there. Ideally, you want to relax those. Where the muscles are hard, they will be carrying the weight. So if we relax, soften the buttocks, soften the belly, the weight is not being carried around this hip abdomen region. It's going to be carried by the legs and the ground. So let's get that area loosened up. Take a few breaths. Next thing is to get your arms slightly away from the side of your body so you could slide a hand between your arm and your ribs. So you're not unconsciously pinning your chest with your arms. This is a reflex gets built in. We sort of hold ourselves. Let the arms come away from the side of the body Feel the space around your body, around your torso. And coming up, space around your body and bring up the mental mantra, if you like. You know, it's just a suggestion. 
everything around me, there's no intrusion. Check it out. Nobody's bothering me. Nobody's looking at me. I don't have to be anything for anybody. Yeah. I don't have to present something. I don't have to cover anything, defend anything. No intrusion. Safe. It might take a little while to just remind yourself that and get the heart to check it out. Is that the case? Mm. Mm. And it, if it's not the case, it probably means there's some kind of memory coming in of something we feel disturbed by. It's bothering us. Okay, but in the body, right in the back, the body, particularly the back, that's okay. And actually the chest is okay. Physically, that's nothing happening there. And then across the top of your chest, from one arm to the other arm, from top of your left arm, to the top of your right arm, particularly being aware of the cavity between the arm and the chest. Right? So we have an arm stuck on the side of the body. You've got a little dip here before the chest comes out. That's the socket. Now, can that socket sort of open up a little? Your arms may slide back. And this helps the chest to open, also the throat to open. Standing. And sweeping your awareness from the centre of your chest or under the throat notch down the arms into the palms of the hands. Opening the palms of the hands, relaxing the fingers. Can you feel your fingertips? And your fingers and the hand, palm of the hand in space. Imagine you have a, a soft ball, spongy ball in the palm of your hand, of each hand. So the hand is alive, it's there, but it's, it's held by the openness rather than by a thing. So an imaginary ball may give you a sense of that open, comfortable state. When you take an out-breath, follow with the out-breath, sweep down each arm, breathe from the centre, down the arms into the palms of the hands and the fingertips, breathing out. Also, be aware of your back. Um, naturally, the front of the body is much more sensitive and volatile. So it's good to get a sense of sweeping this broad, 
area of your back, shoulders down to the hips, nice and steady, the back, sweeping down, down the spine, into the legs and the floor, nice stabilizing spinal axis. So as that comes in, you can then continue the process up into the head. Relax your face, throat, lips, cheeks, eyes, forehead. Relax the, this very sensitive, highly triggerable, expressive, uh, emotionally very expressive feature of our body, the face. Relax the tongue. Relax the jaw, relax the face. And feel the back of the head. And down your back into the ground. And stability. And simplifying the emotional message. Simplifying the emotional autonomous message. Stable. Complete. Top of the head, soles of the feet. Safe. Non-obstructed, non-intruded upon. Last piece, um, can you receive the flow of breathing from your abdomen? So the internal aspect, the living aspect of the body, really living aspect of the body is the life force of breathing. So if this is really received in an uncompressed, (laughs) 
uh, you know, light, open way, it's extremely uh, calming and reassuring. We're not just steady as a rock, we're also steady as a tree, alive. And even better, steady as a human being. fed by the life force that is breathing us. Naturally, anything that we don't need to do, think about, act upon, can that be gently relaxed, not switched off, not condemned, just now getting stable, living presence, and we'll deal with topics in due course. So this is the parent we're establishing here, proper supervisor. So I'll draw the group session to a close, gently. So by all means continue standing or just flex a little bit. Feel the presence of this living body walking, breathing, drinking and so on. Life force. And uh, Appreciate it.